Rewind it again. Come on, rewind it again. I want to see this. Welcome to Rewind Again, blah, 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 blah. And welcome today to my guest, Lexi Dunn. Hey, how's it going? It's good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. It's like Sunday. There's snow on the ground, Valentine's Day when we're recording this. So it's a good day. Yes. It's chocolate. Will you be my Valentine? I would love to be your Valentine if you'll be my Valentine. I will be your Valentine. Thank you. Yes. Awesome. awesome. Score. We both have Valentine's. Okay. Um, so give us like a sense of like what you do in fandom, what you're into, what titles you're following right now. Uh, well, I have two identities, which gets fun. Um, but in fandom, I'm Freya O'Scanlan, uh, Freya underscore O. Um, I'm still kind of stuck in Arrow fandom, even though most days I hate the <laughs> show. It's the weirdest love-hate relationship ever. Like, I watch it in spite of its main character. Mm-hmm. Um getting really into dark matter i'm very excited the second season's probably going to come out soon and i just i can't wait for that one um like in the legends of tomorrow show um i'm gonna catch up with supergirl eventually i need to i look so good but you do. i'm writing a book right now and i have to keep my i have to keep it to a limited number of tv shows otherwise i would just watch 80 hours of shows a week completely so. understand can i tell you about supergirl for a second though i yeah sure Okay, so the thing about Supergirl is that it's like elementary for me. It's like where I don't feel like I'm fandom inspired by it at all, but I just really enjoy it as simply being a a fun show that I can rely on to be a thing within its genre. And it keeps getting more and more entertaining. And I just I really like it. And I don't have any, I don't have a lot of great expectations for it, and I don't have a lot of low expectations for it. It's just it's a nice, fun show, and it's one of the ones I can watch to like mentally decompress. I, I I'm very I hear that from a lot of people actually, and I'm very excited about it. And I love watching the few episodes I did get to see before I kind of went into fandom hibernation. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I feel bad that I'm not keeping up with it because I my books get compared to it all the time. But uh, Melissa Benoist is like a puppy. That's what I've picked up from Tumblr. Oh yeah, she she's she's got big eyes. And um, what's her name? Who plays Cat? Uh, super famous. I can't think of her name. Callista Flockhart. Callista Flockhart. Yeah, she's she does really good too. And the guy who does Jimmy does really good. Yeah, I I like uh, I like all parts of it. He's so he, hot. He's very. Cute. I'm he's so very shallow, hot. but he's so yeah. I've been into him since like Necessary Roughness. He's just he's so pretty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I just got caught up on Arrow too. Um, what do you, uh, let me, let me skip ahead actually. What, what are you doing right now with your book? Cause I know that you're a novelist cause I read your book and it was good. So tell me about what oh, you've written you. and what you're working on. Uh, currently I'm working on my superheroes anonymous series. I write under the professional pseudonym Lexi Dunn. That's an E at both of the end of those cause nobody spells it right. But, um, <laughs> I write for a series called Superheroes Anonymous, which is about a woman named Gail Godwin, who is, um, I like to call it Lois Lane Becomes Supergirl. My mom calls it Lois Lane Gets Even. Um, <laughs> she's your typical run-of-the-mill damsel in distress at the beginning of the book. She keeps getting kidnapped by every villain and saved by the same superhero over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so the first book is about her 
kind of her origin story and how she kind of ends up crossing a mad scientist and winds up with powers herself and then finds herself on the other end of the superhero spectrum. Mm-hmm. So she goes from hostage girl to hero. The second book uh, is, well, there's slight spoilers, but she ends up in prison and has to prove her innocence. And then the third book will hopefully take her maybe to finding her own hero identity. So that one's coming out in September. Uh, There's not a title yet. We're currently discussing our options for titles. But I'm very excited about it. and I can't wait for people to read it. Oh, I, I really want to read the um the second one because I've only read the first one. And it oh, ended... man, so you only know about the cliffhanger. Yeah, well, I, I knew it was going to go badly because the next one is called Super Villains Anonymous. So, <laughs> but I, it ended on a huge cliffhanger and I and I stopped reading. I was like, oh, damn it. I was like, well, yeah. I sort of knew that was coming. <laughs> I was I was very like tentative about uh, doing promotion for the first one before the second one was out because I knew people were going to hate the ending, the cliffhanger, and you'd have to wait until the second one. But when the second one came out, it was free for all. I'm like, they're both out there. The second one doesn't end on a cliffhanger ending-ish. Uh, <laughs> so go ahead, read them both at the same time. They're pretty inexpensive if you get the ebooks. They're like $3 each, and that's less than a cup of coffee. So, Oh, that's good. Maybe I'll get the ebook then. You should not get the ebook. Not that I don't want to support you, but I am low. I am. I am low income. So oh no, I totally understand. Like I, yeah. I get every book I can from the library, and so like I can't judge others. <laughs> Just don't download them illegally, please. Oh, no, I, especially <laughs> now that I now that I now that I bought the first one, and now that I know you, I think I would feel awkward about that. <laughs> but um, I mean, I wouldn't judge you too much, but I'd just be like, you know, my dog is so cute, and she really likes food. So, <laughs> well, I love that. I love dogs, so I'm in support of that. Um, there was a couple things that you did in your book that that I uh that I thought were interesting. Like you have an ongoing uh in the first book anyway. It goes about two thirds of the book, I think, before we get the answer question about um whether or not a particular character is or isn't a superhero, and uh. I thought that you carried that through the book pretty well up until the point that you revealed it with the Blaze character. Um, okay. Like, like, is he the super or is he the? Su- I don't remember which one's. Yeah, I think Blaze is the name of the superhero, right? Blaze is the superhero. Yeah. So it was the other guy is like, is he or isn't he Blaze? And that was a good dramatic buildup. And then when I realized that it wasn't him, I correctly pegged the right person, like just right before you said it in the book. So I was really proud of myself. <laughs> I that was a fun thing to write because I was like you know half the people are going to realize who the real guy is uh through the whole time and the whole time Gail the main character is saying everybody's telling her well Blaze is clearly your six foot four really tall green-eyed boyfriend the guy who's six mm-hmm. foot four and also saving you and Gail's like I'm not so sure so she's not very perceptive uh that's what really works well with the character for me mm-hmm. is I could tell so much story and you don't know how much of it is true because Gail probably didn't notice something important. Mm-hmm. I love her, but she's simple. The Harry, um, the Harry Potter quandary. <laughs> the Harry Potter quandary. You know, Harry Potter was the greatest unreliable narrator ever. I love him, but yeah, also simple. Um, so revealing that character was a lot of fun. I always had the plan to reveal him when I did. And I remember I have a I have an editor and then I have a copy editor. And the copy editor would go through and make just kind of just the copy edits. Wouldn't comment. But on that that reveal, I had like 
all exclamation points and oh my god did not see that coming in the comment which was like my greatest copy edit- editing comment ever that's awesome that's amazing what is the difference between an editor and a copy editor like what what does that do the my editor is a woman named Rebecca Lukash and she is fantastic and we talk about our dogs all the time but uh she is with me pretty much every step of the way um I send in the completed book, she reads it, and then I get back what's called an edit letter, which is a one-page letter saying kind of the overall, this is great, but maybe we need to change this arc, or I could use a little more of this, or this person rolls their eyes too much. And then she goes through Mm -hmm. and goes through the manuscript line by line and will do some copy editing, but mostly she's focusing on the characters, the beats, that kind of stuff, the Mm -hmm. pacing. And then a copy editor will go through on the very, very final polish and will look at my grammar, fix all of my hyphens, because my hyphen work is a mess. Um, (laughs) They don't usually focus on stylistic stuff. They usually tend to look at the grammar. Just the mechanics. Mechanics, yeah. yeah. And I don't know who my copy editor's name is, but I regard them as the greatest enemy ever because we disagree about a lot of different grammatical rules. Oh, yeah. But my editor yeah. and I have a lot more closely together and we cannot strangle each other, even though I'm pretty sure at some point she wanted me to. Wanted to. So She's very nice and oh. she's the cutest dog. <laughs> Well, this is a dog-friendly podcast. If you're listening to this, we are in full support of dogs. Dogs are awesome. Dogs are awesome. Yes. I endorse this message. Excellent. We've now been endorsed by a published author with the message, (laughs) dogs are awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, I want to go into a couple um, news topics. And um, uh, we're going to talk about Star Trek. We're going to talk about Taylor Swift and Kanye West. And then we're going to go into the whole thing about... Cassie Clare, authors, fanfic, professionals. It's going to be amazing. Okay. But first, Star Trek. So um, uh, the new series that's coming out that's going to be on CBS is going to be helmed by Brian Fuller. And Brian Fuller wrote uh, – well, he, like, produced Hannibal, Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me. And I don't know. Did he do any other shows or was that it? Uh, Hannibal, Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me. He's done a couple um, smaller ones, I think. Yeah. But those are his big ones. His, uh, the main thing I'm, I'm concerned about is that he's also helming American Gods. Yes, yes. Which, you know, they're stealing Ricky Whittle from the 100 fandom. and I'm kind of happy for him. I want him to have good good. I'm success. so excited about American Gods. <laughs> Shadow is a fantastic character. He really is going to do well at that role. But mm-hmm. So he's, he's helming American Gods and Star Trek. But then I look at, like... Greg Berlanti, who's got, like, nine shows. So, it's possible. I had heard, too, that isn't American Gods going to be in a miniseries? I thought so, but IMDb told me it was just regular. I don't... Mm. I'm not sure. So, it could be a miniseries, and that could be fine. That probably actually works best for the book. Hannibal was, like, short seasons, right? It was only, like, 12-episode seasons, I thought. Yeah, and it was always on the bubble. Yeah. I do think one thing that I I like about um, Brian Fuller's stuff is that... Going from Dead Like Me to Pushing Daisies and then the few episodes even that I saw of Hannibal, he's such a visual director that everything has a uh, – each show has its own aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And um, especially Pushing Daisies had a major, major artistic point of view and then and then Hannibal has a major artistic point of view. Oh, yeah. Listening to him talk about some of the things they pulled on Hannibal is amazing. 
Like, uh, Hannibal is a very, very gory show. I couldn't watch it. I, I, just, I made four episodes. I was, I, I couldn't You made it farther than I did. I, I remember him talking about how the network wouldn't allow him to show a butt crack on TV. So they just filled it with blood. So. Ew. Yeah. Blood. Brian Fuller, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you get around the network censors. So what he should have done, he should have done like a picture of cleavage and then said it was a butt crack and then said it wasn't a butt crack. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it would have worked that way with the shot they were going for. But, you know, we'll send that in <laughs> as a suggestion, I think. Um. Uh. On the show Community, uh, the two actors, uh, Joel McHale and Allison Brie, did this um, little tweet thing where they did a picture of one of them was his butt crack and one of them was her cleavage. And they did a side-by-side zoom in shot. And it was like you couldn't tell which <laughs> one was which. <laughs> it was really that, funny. Um, that sounds like them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so on the show, like about the Hannibal, though, and I really am excited about Brian Fuller just because I did like Pushing Daisies and I did really like Dead Like Me. And even though I didn't like Hannibal enough to watch it past the ache factor, I did appreciate that it was something that was well-made was being put in front of me, even if I couldn't get into it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be really good. The uh, I am curious to see how he's going to like adapt his artistic style to a, a world that is so pre-existing and has such an aesthetic already. Because you can't... Yeah. Like, you can't like put sparkles and f- paint all over the Enterprise. It's got to look like the Enterprise. I would love whatever. to put sparkles and paint all over the Enterprise, though. That would be like the flowers in 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 Firefly that are just painted in the kitchen. Oh yeah, yeah. those are entirely Kaylee, right? I think they said in one of the background in one of the behind the scenes stuff that they put that in there, thinking that Kaylee would have been the one to paint it in. Oh yeah, yeah. I believe it. That 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 flowers were her thing. Uh, Alex Kurtzman is co-producing this and Alex Kurtzman has had his fingers I think in every single TV show it seems because I was looking on his IMDB page and it's Fringe, Sleepy Hollow, Limitless Scorpion, Hawaii Five-0 all the new versions of the new version of Hawaii Five-0 and that is a lot because I know he was on Sleepy he was co-producing on Sleepy Hollow up until last season which was the end of season 2 and Scorpion is still only I think in its second season maybe I think it's like near, yeah. Yeah, so that's and Limitless is brand new, so that's a, like a lot of pies. To- well, he's also he's also co-produced the J.J. Um, Abrams Star Trek movies too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, man. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan, but um, I yeah. liked I liked Sleepy Hollow a lot for the first season, and then I didn't like the second season, and. They got the two producers left, um, him and, and Brian Ortsy, I think is the other one. So uh, we're yeah. on a new Robert Ortsy. Yeah, Robert Ortsy, thank you. We have new producers for the third season, which I'm enjoying a lot more, by the way. Um so it's like I don't know, there's some good things and, and bad things in there. A lot of people loved Fringe. I never really got into that one. It was my uh, that was my Fringe was my jam. And yeah. I don't think he was one of the good producers on Fringe. I think he's He's a producer where he throws his name on things and you're going to get a good sci-fi cloud out of it. But, you know, uh, I prefer other people's vision to his. Yeah. The new movie comes out, the new Star Trek movie comes out in July and it's directed by Justin Lin of the Fast and the Furious franchise. And Community. Important. Really? What did he do in Community? He did Modern Warfare. It's like the best episode of Community ever. That oh, he did. That's Lynch. really cool. I thought I thought all the early eps- I thought all the first episodes for most of the show were by the um the two the two brothers that are doing Captain Marvel or Captain America now. 
Yeah, um, but Justin Lin came in and ep- uh, directed a few episodes, and Modern Warfare is, like, hands down the best episode of Community ever made. I will mm. fight anybody on that. I, um, will, I will actually disagree with you, because I actually think that the zombie episode might be the best episode. It's a good episode, but it doesn't have come with me if you don't want paint on your clothes. That's true. So. But, man, it... I really, I will really go to bat for epidemiology as the best community episode, but I think that modern warfare is a piece of art. So I, I don't know. It's like it's like that was Justin Lin, man. It's like these two, these two amazing things. I don't know, but I think, yeah. yeah. Basically, with community, <laughs> there aren't that many terrible episodes. So like everybody's going to have their favorites. Like yeah. I love the Dungeons and Dragons ones. Those so. are good. Yeah. Uh, but that's off topic so okay so moving away from star trek because uh i don't know it's just a big question mark for me right now i don't know how i'm gonna feel about the new movie i am excited for the new show oh do you know it's gonna be probably a pay for service thing did you hear about that yeah so cbs is putting it on their pay channel like they're doing like their own version of of streaming Mm -hmm. and they're gonna release the pilot air the pilot then have the rest of it be only available on their streaming pay channel which is like six dollars a month yeah, actually, uh, I subscribed to that because my I got my parents a Roku for Christmas and I bought them that channel because they like the Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. So. Well, then you're in the know because maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to rip it from you because I don't know if I want to pay CVS $6 for their backlogs. Oh. Yeah, if they if they were to like release all of the episodes of Supergirl on there and Star Trek, like I think they'd be doing a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the way to go. Supergirl's not on there, but that's like a currently airing show. Yeah, Supergirl is, like, the last two or three episodes are on there. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, I, if they could have changed that, but last time I checked, I was like, oh, man, I wanted to catch up. Because mm. I, I love, like, the Hulu Plus model where you can just, where a lot of the networks will just leave their entire shows up for the season. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think the um, the CW only puts up the last five episodes. So, as yeah. long as you don't get too far behind, you're okay. But I like it when they leave the whole show up there. Yeah, yeah so, I gotta catch up on iZombie. So, Me too. I'm, I'm, I'm eight episodes behind. I don't yeah, know. That's about, that's about where I am, too. Last I saw, she was kissing Major, and I was like, no! Stop! Stop! He said he needed help, not... Tongue! <laughs> oh, man. This is another detour, but I can't... There's been very few shows where I like both of the people so much and do not want them to be together so hard. <laughs> like, I just want them <laughs> to be away from each other, even though I really like both characters. I just yeah. like, you do not belong together. Stop it. No, they really don't. I That's one of the shows where I, I have, like, a male-male ship, actually. Like, I am a big major uh, Ravi fan. I can definitely see that, yeah. Like, yeah. they're so cute. I so. it's, that They're really cute. I, I think if I ship anyone with Ravi, it might be Liv. Like, I really kind of think they're really cute together, but I don't... That's legit. I don't have an OTP for that fandom. I just... It, it, it doesn't strike it with me yet. The OTP is clearly Liv and Peyton's friendship. Clearly. I would agree with that if I felt like we knew more about Peyton as a character. And I am eight episodes behind. But, like, I I do, I do, don't think that she has a whole lot of character besides being the perky best friend roommate. And that kind of annoys me. So they should give yeah. her more to do. I think they have in the meantime, I think, uh, from what I've seen on Tumblr. So Not fingers probably. crossed. Okay. So take us into our next news story, which you just told me about today and sounds wild. <laughs> Oh, the Kanye versus Taylor? Kanye versus Tay-Tay, or whatever we're calling it. So, Kanye has dropped a new album. Um, Let me look at my actual agenda, because my memory is completely shot. 
Let's see. Kanye has dropped a new album, The Life of Pablo, and he dropped it at New York Fashion Week at the Yeezy uh, Fashion Show, Yeezy 3 Fashion Show. And in this album, there's a song mm-hmm. called Famous. It features Rihanna. And the lyrics, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why I made that bitch famous. Like, Kanye. Hello. No, stop. This is a um, squirt bottle to the face moment for me because oh. I, I'm not a big fan of Kanye anyway. Um, he does some pretty great music, but I I don't like him. Um, and I'm a big fan of Taylor Swift and <laughs> their 2009 what Grammys thing where he stole the microphone and pr- proceeded to berate everybody for picking her over Beyonce yeah. was... Uh, that was a special moment, and they seem to have made up, at least publicly, until this this line in this song, which is, A, factually incorrect, because he didn't make her famous. She did that on her own. Yeah. And B, nobody owes you sex, dude. Like, can I curse? Yes, go ahead. Fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Go fuck yourself and fuck off. Sorry. No, I let your feelings out. No, I, I, there, yeah, there's a lot of problems with that. First of all, I'm not sure. Well, this is assuming if we're taking him at his word and that this is not just like, you know, BS to just make waves, which it very easily could be, then Kanye. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying he's sincere, <laughs> which he probably is. Uh, I, I think that maybe he doesn't really realize that country music is the biggest music industry in America. And I don't actually listen to country music, but it has more uh, radio stations, it has more records that it is it's bigger than hip-hop it's the biggest industry of music genre in the country so she was legitimately famous with probably in more households than he was on the day that the grammys thing happened in terms of like listeners and that 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 just depends on where on where you are in the country really well what is it what is it they say uh History is written by the victors, and Kanye always believes he's winning, so uh, I believe he's just rewriting history to satisfy himself here. Yeah. I think it, it sounds to me like it's just it's just mostly an attempt to bring up something that will get attention, I think. Yeah, it's, it's Kanye. He's going to bid for attention for whatever he wants. Yeah. I just... I. I, I, I don't, don't like the lyric. I wish yeah. he would just move on. Yeah, the um, the idea that 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 sex is the is a compensation for like fin- for like professional success or you know for monetary success is I don't know. It's it's just it's That's why it's, we have things like the casting couch. Yeah, it's the it's that cheap shot that like if you're going to insult a, a a woman whether it's you know a p- person that you're talking to in person or whether it's you know a media character to another media character or celebrity to celebrity like it's the cheapest and laziest way to insult to insult a woman is to call her a prostitute or a sex worker or a whore and that happens so often because it's like the go-to joke it's the go-to punch that even if nothing else is accurate hey you got that punch in there and it's so annoying it's like it's so ugh. overdone and it's so just there are so many more fun ways to insult people yeah but like you got here on your back you know blowjobs and everything and like just stop <laughs> so he wants attention he got it uh the world blew up 
I feel so bad for uh, Carly Kloss, though, who is uh, a model and one of Taylor Swift's closest friends that was mm-hmm. at that show and oh, yeah? had a contract and had to dance to it. So, oh. like, been, they've released a bunch of statements about Taylor's reactions to it, so I don't know what's the truth anymore, but the, the lyric is in poor taste. Yeah, I think we can definitely agree on that. Um, uh, Rihanna didn't sing that lyric, did she? No, I think it was just, I think that part was Kanye. Okay, good. I haven't listened to it. I, I don't, I don't really I have, have a, 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 a politicized opinion about Rihanna, but I, I kind of have good feeling toward her generally. So I'm, I would hope that, that she wasn't singing that line or, but you know, whatever. She's a guest, she's a guest no, on a song. I, just like I think are. that, that line was in Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's go to our third story. This is Cassie Clare versus Sherilyn Kenyon, the legal saga. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. When did you find out about this? Uh, pretty much the morning it happened. Um, like, okay, I have been in fandom. I was in the Harry Potter fandom. I'm not going to say what my username was. I've changed since then. Uh, I've been. In, I read the Draco trilogy while it was being put out. I mm-hmm. read all the big stories back then. You know, uh, Paradigm of Uncertainty, Draco trilogy, all of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Fiction Alley getting set up. I remember everything about Sandra Clare's background, her leaving fanfiction.net, all the uh-huh. scandal. So I actually, if you ever have time, go find the story of Miss Scribe. Yeah. Uh, she was the world's largest troll, like literally thousands of identities, it felt like. And there was a website involved that was blamed for a lot of what Miss Scribe did, and Sandra Clare was heavily involved in this. And I was actually a member of that website. Like, I had just gotten my fix onto that website, and then it got taken down. So I held kind of this grudge against all of those people, because I had worked hard to get my stories on that site. Wait, wait, was that Sugar Quill? Uh, no, I was on Sugar Quill for a bit, but now GryffindorTower.net. Was that one of the 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 fictionality ones? No, GryffindorTower.net was the one that was blamed for a lot of misscribes trolling. Oh, even though they were completely innocent of it, but wow. they were associated with Sugar Quill, so oh. they were like uh, they were they were fandom buddies with Sugar Quill. So. I had a tiny, tiny grudge with Sugar Quill, which is that I put a story in and they didn't take it. And I will forever be resentful for that. And I didn't try again or anything. And I think they got me on some kind of weird grammar rule, even though I poured over it and there was nothing grammatically wrong with my story. So I decided that their review system was BS and I was going to flounce out of there like a, you know, flouncy thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, screw you, Sugar Quill. Anyway, but. Uh... Yeah, Sugar Quill had some strange elite. <laughs> elitism going on because like you had like the sugar quill story and then you'd like if your story was really good you were on like the professor's bookshelf or something and now that i'm a much older person and have been in fandom and have seen you know civilizations rise and fall Mm -hmm. it occurs to me that that's just stupid (laughs) and just so gatekeeping and not fair and gryffindor tower was the same way so Getting a story into there was a big deal, and then Cassandra Clare's group happened. Oh. So I still follow some of the people that I kind of knew back then, and so the fact that she's getting sued at all, um, the minute it happened, half of my dash and my timeline just blew up with, yes, finally, pennant, or uh, what's the word? I'm 
thinking of. Finally, oh, she's getting her comeuppance. <laughs> yeah. So before we re- read the case, we were just like, finally, the plagiarist is getting what she deserves. I was telling somebody, like, I was texting somebody, um, and they're like, how are you doing tonight? I said, well, really good. I just found out an author that I don't like is getting sued for copyright infringement. So it's a good day. <laughs> But yeah, basically, I sent an email to my friend, and I'm like, Cassie Clare getting sued for copyright infringement, bless. So Okay, so I'm going to read a little bit right now from the website called courthousenews.com, and this is from their February 8th uh, summary of what's going on, and I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs so that everybody can sort of know what the deal is with what's actually under the suit, because I think a lot of people are confused about what's what the what the items in the suit are and what she's actually being sued for. So... This is from courthousenews.com. Sherilyn Kenyon says that she started the Dark Hunter series in 1998. The story, quote, follows an immortal cadre of warriors who protect mankind from creatures and demons who prey on humans, according to court records. On Friday, Kenyon sued Cassandra Clare, claiming her Shadowhunter series initially used Kenyon's trademark Dark Hunter. After Kenyon demanded that Clare remove the word Dark Hunter from her work, this was several years ago, um... In I think 2006, when the story was when the book was about to be published, uh, on uh, after Kenyon demanded that Claire remove the word "dark hunter" from her work, Claire used the term "shadow hunter" for her protagonist instead, according to that lawsuit. The word "hunter" was also removed from the book title. In Claire's book, *The Mortal Instruments: City of Bones*, was published in 2007. Since then, Claire has expanded her use of the term "shadow hunter," despite assurances that she would not, according to Kenyon. 2007 book was made into a movie and released in 2013, which bombed. Uh, that uh, that was all in the lawsuit. And in 2014, it was reportedly announced that Mortal Instruments City of Bones would be adapted into a television series called Shadowhunters, The Mortal Instruments. And side note, I'm still forever mad at Harry Potter for the colon thing and titles. I wish that would go away, but now we're stuck with all these combinations of things. Okay. Anyway, Kenyon says that ABC Family picked up Claire's TV pilot in March 2015, which we know because it's out now. It's been out a couple episodes. And um, it premiered on January 12th this year. So um, she's being sued for uh, copyright infringement, uh, uh, copy press. uh, What what is it called? with Book covers, I think. Dressing. Uh. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, and for the use of the logos, pretty much. So the big – I read over the court, the lawsuit uh, initial statement. It's been – it's a public record, and it was only available to people who, like, have um, the legal equivalent of whatever JSTOR is where you access legal documents. But it's been put on, on, on the internet. Another author put it up on her website. And, and mostly it comes after – down to a couple things, which is that there was a legal disagreement about this several years ago. Uh, Cassie agreed to stop using the term shadow hunter and a couple other things and then have since changed it and capitalized on that. And there's also apparently an issue with um, a certain logo that was used in the dark hunter series. They had a, a similar logo used in the, sh- in the shadow hunter series, but when the publishing at one point, the logos were so similar that they actually sent out thousands of books with the wrong logo, the logo from the Dark Hunter series on the book cover of the Shadowhunter series. So if nothing else is going on with in terms of, you know, whether or not you have tropes that are being reused, there's a very, at least an approvable incidence of a very real, you used my logo illegally to sell your product that is going on in here. So I think that there's at least partial success that's going to be found from one of the counts of, of this lawsuit. Um, and it also names about 50 unnamed parties that are associated with the publication. 
and it's like whoo it's a it's a straw it's an it's an opening salvo i don't think it's the strongest case even mm-hmm. though yeah. the logo was used i don't think like fandom we as a whole we pretty much hate cassie claire uh I won't go into the p- professional side of how they feel about Cassie Claire, the Claire with no I versus Claire with an I, because when she was in fandom, it was C L A I R E, and then she mm-hmm. dropped the I to be publish. But we pretty much there. There is just a strong dislike of her. She pulled some shenanigans in fandom, and uh, fandom memory isn't that long. But for her, for some reason, it is. She's like our. I was thinking about this. She's like. The, she's like the Donald Trump almost, or or like a Venom, where it's like she's this character that is successful, but reviled by many, but also loved by many, and uh, there's a very clear history of drama and why people don't like it, and it's it, oh she's in the news again. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, she the Donald Trump of fandom. I like that. That's a good analogy, <laughs> but. She, so we know that she is a plagiarist. We know that she plagiarized um, Pamela Dean's books when she was writing the Draco trilogy, and she also would put steal entire jokes from shows like Buffy and put them in her work. And then later on, she claimed that this was a fandom game for her friends to pick out the lines she took. But and then a lot of the people that read her fa- fan fiction and then read the Shadowhunter series or the Mortal Instruments, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mortal Instruments, they say that she borrowed quite a bit from fan fiction to put into the Mortal Instruments. And I wrote a book, and I can kind of see that. So, as far as fandom goes, she's guilty. Um, and a lot of us were incredibly happy to see that somebody, such a big name like Sherilyn Kenyon, was willing to go after her because, to us, you know, she's the worst. Mm-hmm. I don't think Sherilyn Kenyon's case is the strongest besides the logo because Dark Hunter is those feel like too much too tropey and those don't feel like something you can really trademark. Yeah. So I don't know if she was plagiarizing that. I think that might just be two people had similar ideas. Yeah, I think that there's if you if you if you look at the if you look at it in the sense that the previous um, agreements and legal discussion between them can be used as precedent, then I think she can definitely get something out of the lawsuit in the sense of we had we visited this issue before. You know, you admitted fault on these issues, or you conceded on this, and now you've you know violated those agreements, or you've you know continue to do this wrong thing that you already admitted wrong. So she can play up on what's happened since between then and now and maybe yeah. get some feedback on that. But I think in reading like what they wanted plans of action, she wants the, them to stop use of these terms in all of these current ongoing projects, including, you know, the television series, I assume any rights that may have been bought for other films or um, future books. And I really don't think that she's going to be able to get that to happen because um, especially a TV show, there's, when people buy up the rights to things for a TV show, that's a lot, that's a lot bigger guns than I yeah. think even Sherilyn Kenyon has. And it's at that point, I think if the Disney channel who owns, um, I think it's ABC family that airs the show. Yeah. Their uh, new, uh, their new channel name though. Oh, what is their new channel name? 
Uh, it's um, I will look that up. Okay, we'll get back to that later. Yeah, I don't I don't watch Pretty Little Liars, so I don't know anything about ABC Family. But um, I mean, I don't see why those you know in the networks wouldn't just say you know look we'll pay off the difference and we're going to just keep using this term because we we've already got a TV show out, and as long as they keep making the TV show, that's going to be of more financial value than anything that Kenyon can really throw at them. Uh, yeah, so, they're probably just going to settle it. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's going to be settled. I think that um that it's it definitely has this feel of like the principle of the thing and there are a couple really good things in if you look at the uh, legal document there are a couple really good things near the end where she says that she uh she basically insults the writing on um on the mortal instruments and i haven't read either sherilyn kenyon's series or cassie claire's series so i actually don't know about that but i thought that was pretty funny that she said like that your work is inferior and it, you know, is, you know, affecting the reputation of my work. It's it's very snippy. And that was, that, that amused me. Yeah. I have, uh, I read the first Mortal Instruments and I, I grew up reading, you know, the Draco trilogy. I read that when I was college teenagers. I don't even remember. And I tried reading a Sherilyn Kenyon book once and I quit 10 pages in. So, I can't really speak to either side on that one. Yeah. I didn't read any of the Draco trilogy stuff. Was that Draco Jr. or was that Harry Draco? That was Harry Draco. Uh, I don't really go... I don't technically really... Harry Hermione, but not really. Huh. Yeah, I don't I don't really go in for, for Slash that often, so I skipped that one. But I did read A Sure Fit of Curses, which I think was the Miss Scribe one. Yes. Yeah. I think so. And I think that that was had some issues with like borrowed language too, or something. There was some other dramatic stuff about that. I did like that one. Oh yeah, I went, I went every through, single one did. Yeah, I went through a brief phase of reading Draco Hermione fic, just because there was so much. Harry Potter was good because there were so many long stories that were like forty chapters, hundreds of thousands of words, and you could really just dive in. And so I had like two months where I like read just really super long fics about Draco and Hermione, who I didn't even really ship necessarily. But I like a little bit of that antagonistic pairing, so I got I got into that a little bit, but it didn't last. <laughs> I was a, I was a Draco Jenny person, Harry Jenny. Jenny was my main love, so not surprising, honestly, considering what I write now. So, um, for the Sherilyn Kenyon thing, uh, there is, uh, I think we should make clear, and if you're listening, to this, she's not uh, Cassie Clare's not been accused of plagiarism in text in this lawsuit it's all about the concept and all about the marketing so when they talk about uh trade dress or dressing is they're talking about the the design of the cover of the books and the gist of the allegation is that the books are marketed in such a way as to capitalize on confusion between the two products between Sherilyn Kenyon series and Cassie Clare series and everything else kind of results from that from that idea so it's not that uh the fandom stuff of plagiarism came from actual language that was borrowed from professional works and put into fanfic. Whereas this is not, nobody's said that Cassie Clare has done that in her actual books. It's more about how the marketing and the concept were used and, and being conflated. For, and that's what the whole lawsuit is about. So uh, I think there's a lot of confusion from people about what that means and what she's actually being sued for. Yeah, because we all think, we we think of her and we're like, yeah, well, she steals words from other people, but this isn't what that's about. No, and that's why I think that there are some grounds for uh, a partial success. I think Sherilyn Kinnan's going to get something out of it, but she's definitely not going to get the whole enchilada, I think. I don't think Cassie Clare actually ever took money from Sherilyn Kenyon with this. 
They, yeah. The two series don't seem that similar to me. Just one's a young adult and the other one is not. Um, what do you think about if you're like in a fandom like the Mortal Instruments and you like the series and then you find out that there's this big drama going on with your favorite author? Has that happened to you for any other shows? Or like, what do you think about the effect that that has on, on the fans of that existing product? It really varies from person to person. Like, um, a lot of the times when you read, Cassie Clare in particular, she's good at erasing any mentions of the plagiarism, any fandom stuff from her Wikipedia page. You can see it on, like, the talk pages, but uh, she is just on top of keeping that off of Google. Oh. So, a lot of the times, a lot of her fandom is very young and doesn't know and doesn't have that fandom history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, some of them just look at it as death of the author. The This is a thing I like. Um, the author is a wanky individual. Oh, well. I like the thing. I like Clary Frey. I like Simon or Jace or whoever they like in the series. And then they just go about their business. <laughs> and in some fandoms, like, the fandom hates the author. Like, Twilight fandom, they... Nobody hates Stephanie Meyer more than most of the Twilight fandom. Really? Yeah. I like I like skipped the whole Twilight fandom. Like I mean, I witnessed it, but I was not in any way participating in it, so I don't really I didn't really know that. Yeah, no. The Twilight fandom is such a strange beast. Um there are the people that love Stephanie Meyer. There are the people that have like died crossing the road at Comic-Con to get a, an autograph from Stephanie Meyer. Mm-hmm. But uh, by and large, the the fan fiction writing section of the Twilight fandom, which doesn't really exist anymore because thanks to thanks to Fifty Shades of Grey, um, by and large, that section of the fandom hates Stephanie Meyer. They are writing fan fiction to fix what she did. Mm. So in some cases, uh, and I don't know if the Mortal Instruments fandoms like this. I'm not part of it, but in some cases, they just they hate the show creator and. Uh, there are some cases where I am in a fandom and I hate the show creator and I'm creating stuff that's kind of subversive to that fandom because I want to fix the bad things. For example, Arrow. Um, I hate Mark Guggenheim, who is one of the head producers of Arrow. I hate that guy. That guy is... Every time I talk, I just... I want to, like, tape his mouth shut. So that's the guy responsible for killing my favorite character. So it could be like that. It could be that the Mortal Instruments fandom doesn't like her. But honestly, I think most of the Mortal Instruments fandoms, since they're young adult fandoms, they do like her. Mm-hmm. And they like her writing and they like everything. So um, that kind of leads, fosters this them against the world atmosphere. And that kind of will almost devour itself eventually. But for right now, the, the TV show's going on. They're happy. And I think most of them hated the movie too, so... The only fandom that hated their movie more than them was probably the Avatar fandom. Just jumping to Avatar for a second, The Last Airbender. So I was upstairs yeah. and I was and I had family members downstairs who were watching the movie and I came downstairs and I came down for a scene where it was in the Ice Nation and um Appa the air bison was floating and all these little kids around him were were were, you know, playing and laughing and and, and watching him float. And on screen, the girl who played guitar said, oh, my gosh, she's flying. And I was like, no. And I just turned and I just walked out because if you have a giant, <laughs> if you have a giant 
elephant animal space bison who's literally the size of like a like a trailer is flying and a character has to say oh my god he's flying and that's the entirety of like her line for the, the that five seconds that's bad screenwriting we know he's flying we can oh, yeah. see it yeah. uh, so i left and i heard it was bad <laughs> Yeah, it was a bad movie altogether. Like the Avatar fandom hates that movie so much, and probably never, never wants a live action movie again. I did read a funny video review talking about the movie, where he was com- the guy was complaining that the um in the Earthbenders were so bad in the movie, whereas in the show they're like the scariest people and <laughs> the Benders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, Toph is right, so that's that's all you need right there. I, I have such so. a love for the Toph's character. We could detour, like, you could detour any episode of my show, Rewind Again, with a discussion about Avatar, and it would, like, take me off the rails. But um, I want to go into a couple talks about the difference between, like, professional writing and fan writing, because you've done both. And we've been talking about now um, a, another person, Cassie Clare, who was in fandom and then transitioned to professional writing. And in your case, your professional writing is pretty far away from your fandom writing. Like, they don't really cross over. But what do you think about, you know, being part of both of those two worlds? It's a new thing. It's, um, you know, fan fiction has been around since what, the 60s. It's just in its current form, it's been evolving since the 60s. Um, and you have some fan writers that don't want to be professional writers. And then you have some professional writers that started as fan writers. And up until a few years ago, it was there was this very much you don't, share that you were a fan writer ever mm-hmm. when you're a professional writer you don't say so but now we have uh, we have naomi novik his imperial dragon or his his majesty's dragon yeah dragon i know it's dragon i love those books hold on um, a second you i'm gonna turn, the, I'm gonna turn you, the video off because it's okay i think that'll help maybe you should turn your video off for a second sure let me or I'll leave mine on, but you should turn yours off, I think, because I think it's my feedback of getting it. Oh, there's your author picture. <laughs> yep, it's very bad. Um, okay. Okay, so is this good now? Is oh, it- my God, that's way better. The the, fe- the playback is way better. So, yeah. Okay, um, good. I'll just not have video on. Perfect. I think I think it did re- record okay, but I think it's just my, my receiving that is kind of like has a lag. So, um, yeah, you were just talking about Naomi Novik. Yeah, Naomi Novik um, writes his uh, Majesty's Dragon, was mm-hmm. one of the founders of like the second biggest fan fiction sites, Archive of Our Own, um, and is very open about her fandom identity. I got to meet her last year, and I asked her questions about it. You have uh, uh, quite a few young adult writers that are fandom authors. Um, mm-hmm. Marissa Mayer, who writes the wonderful Crest series the her newest book i think is winter uh she wrote uh sailor moon fan fiction you could still find it it's oh wow so who she is right on her fanfiction.net profile so it's a, definitely it's a changing world um you have a lot more fan fiction writers that are going professional both traditional publishing and self-publishing i know mm-hmm. at least three others like me but uh i kind of keep a little bit of space between them. Like if you ask me straight out, are you Freya Scanlan? I'll be like, yeah, that's me. But I won't say as on like my Lexi Twitter or anything, hey, I'm Freya, go yeah. find me here. But as Freya, I'll say, hey, I'm Lexi, go find me there. So, Well, I'm sorry, you've now been outed to the 61 people who listen to this, who are going to listen to this episode. 
I think it'll probably be 62 for this one because my mother is sure to listen to it too. Excellent. Actually, no, I'm never going to tell her about that because I told Kanye West to fuck off. <laughs> well, if Fine. she does, you can, make her, you can have her leave me a, a, an iTunes review. Okay. So Why think you about let my this? daughter curse on a podcast? Do so. it for the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everybody should review and tell us your favorite Cassie Clare story. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And actually, you know what? There was a... um. There was a uh, uh, a thing I was going to read. We'll get to this in a minute. We're going to have listener mail at the end here. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll read something and then we can talk about it. But anyway, go ahead. So speaking of, the besides Cassie Clare, one of the most famous ones is E.L. James, who wrote Twilight fan fiction <laughs> and then altered that to make it Fifty Shades of Grey and then published that and became a big hit. Um, do you know, like, like, what do you think is the difference between, like, Cassie Clare adapting parts of her stories to be in you know the moral instruments versus el james taking wholesale her fanfic and reworking it and making it like a book and why doesn't el james get the kind of crap that cassie claire gets for it or oh el james gets plenty of crap yeah but most people don't know it's uh most people don't know 50 shades of gray is twilight fanfiction yeah like every time somebody has recommended that book and people have literally recommended that book to me like in all seriousness, hey, I'm reading this book. You should read it. It's called Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can tell you where to find that free and with the original characters who are Twilight characters. And then I have to explain to them what fan fiction is. So then we go into that whole detailed thing. But the main difference between what Cassie Clare does and what E.L. James does is that Cassie Clare is pretty original in her own right. Mm-hmm. E.L. James is not. Um, on Reddit, there is the history of Fifty Shades of Grey when it was called Master of the Universe, mm-hmm. which was the Twilight title. It was written by Fire Queen, Ice Dragon, Ice Dragon, Fire Queen, something like that. I didn't know it was called Master of the Universe, like that old 80s movie, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> but he's the <laughs> master, master of her universe. universe? Oh. Yes. Oh, it's gross, right? That's so... And... I'm sorry, you just, you just blew. My, I I just see. I just didn't know that was the name of the title. I thought it was just called Fifty Shades of Grey in the in the fan fanfic. Too. Wow. Nope, nope. It was Master of the Universe. Is that like ironic? Is that supposed to be a joke? No, that was. She's not good at irony. Oh my god. I'm sorry. I'm distracted. You blew my brain. Okay, continue. <laughs> I'm gonna sit you on. You should that go on Reddit and you should read the history of how Fifty Shades of Grey became a. A whole thing because it's written by somebody who doesn't out herself but she was in the twilight fandom and it talks about the evolution of the twilight fandom how 50 shades of gray came to be about and how it's not about the writing so much as it's about the marketing hmm. and it's this whole convoluted story it's it's a really brilliant read um because it looks at like when you're in fan fiction and there's always going to be that one story that gets so many kudos and mm-hmm. so many reviews and you read it and you're like, these characters are not the show characters or yeah. the book characters. These characters are so out of character. Why do so many people like this? Yeah. <laughs> every fandom has that story and every fandom usually has two or three of that story. Mm-hmm. But um, Fifty Shades of Grey is that story. It just is that story on a whole nother level. 
Well, then, back to what you said before, then doesn't that make it original? Like, if it really is that different from the source material, then isn't... Why is she less original than, like, Cassie Clare? Oh, was that, like, a hard-knock journalist question? That is... Uh, it's a, it's a hard to explain. But, but, okay, so Cassie Clare... Um, in the reports vary about how much the mortal instruments borrows from her Harry Potter fanfiction, mm-hmm. which was pretty, uh, what we call in fanfiction alternate universe, which is where you take the characters from the show and you put them in either you change one detail about the show and then that changes everything about the show's canon. Mm-hmm. That's one version of alternate universe. Or you take the characters and you put them in a completely different universe altogether. Like you take... Um, let's say using Big Bang Theory, you take all four of like the physicists and scientists and you make them all baristas. So God, that would be so nauseating. Like yeah, they'd just be thinking the about like, they'd just be terrible baristas. <laughs> yeah. Like you they'd always put their number on your cup and you'd be like, I'm I'm not interested in you, dude. And they'd be like, But I'm smart. But yeah. yeah uh, I remember that used to be called a f- I'm 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 old enough in Vanham that that used to be called a fusion. And then an yeah. AU was an, an alternate universe AU was just canon deviation plot lines, whereas a fusion was where you do that. The the um a crossover is where two characters, two sets of characters meet. And then a fusion is where one set of characters inhabits a different world. And a now that's is where one set of characters habits a different alt established world. Like if yeah. I took all of the Avengers and I put them in Star Trek. Yeah. Not necessarily a generic coffee shop. Yeah, but I think AU sort of taken on as an umbrella term for all of those. Yeah, that's why it's it's fun to explain AU because there it means so many different things. Mm-hmm. But in this case, um, Twilight fandom hates Twilight, and so what they used to do is they used to make all human AUs. Uh huh. And so Edward is not a vampire. Jacob is not a werewolf. Uh, Bella is still a blank slate Mm -hmm. um so they used to make these all human au's and they would follow trends like um edward the tattoo artist or a whole bunch of different things and they're very trend heavy fandom Mm -hmm. all fandoms really are but they're very trend heavy and so when Master of the Universe was written. It was written because BDSM stories were starting to get into, um, into in, in vogue, mm-hmm. and there are a couple other BDSM stories in the fandom that the fandom will argue are better written, but uh, that Master of the Universe was better received because it had better marketing. Like they used to do a whole like graphics layout and they'd have super readers and they'd have super reviews what's a super reader a super reader is and this isn't something in every fandom but the there are these people that would go read the story and if you had a super reader then they would talk about your story and they would tell others and like you got that super reader is reading your story that's awesome because then they're they're like the biggest hype man hype men oh my 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 jaw is open because this is like I just, that's never happened in any of the fandoms that I've been in. This is totally new to me. Wow. So it's like. Twilight fandom is weird. It's like a promotional hype person for your story. And then you try to lure that hype person to read your story and then promote it to other people in the fandom. Yeah. This is, this is like a lot of, some of the big fandoms read that way. Wow. I can sort of see how, like, if you have 
okay, I know that a lot of authors read a lot of fanfic as well. And so if an author reads a fanfic and says it's really great, I may pay more attention to that fic. Yeah. You know, if I know that so-and-so read it and I like so-and-so's work. So I say, oh, well, if they liked it, I might like it too. But I don't really have never had that experience before with just readers, like, on their own. That's so interesting. Yeah, like, like the, yeah. <laughs> the, this, is a, this is a very strange fandom because for Twilight, a lot of the people, this was their first fandom. And mm-hmm. This is probably their own their mono fandom, um, and so they'd have super readers and everything. So, with with Cassandra Clare or with Cassie Clare, what she did was she took maybe she took elements of her own story, maybe she didn't. That d- depends. But she also wrote an entirely new story based around them and brought in new characters and built a new world mm-hmm. with from her fan fiction what i'm saying is when she wrote the mortal instruments she built everything from pretty much from the ground up may have borrowed elements but didn't borrow the whole thing yeah with el james she just filed off the serial numbers and then um added like a chapter with some emails in there so the story that she had originally written and somebody went through and did a text analysis and it's like 96 percent the same the story she had originally written in a fandom atmosphere to be given freely was now being being sold by the billions. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not illegal, but in my opinion, it's very immoral. Well, how does that how does that fandom that fan fiction, from what you know of it, um, match up to the plotline of the Twilight franchise? Does it follow the same journeys and beats as the Twilight franchise does? No, no, it's 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 a it's an AU, um, and I guess it, there there are some thematic things that are very similar, but it's it's an AU. It's, it was written from scratch as an AU, but it was written with Edward and Bella, and there's the whole kind of that social contract going on. Yeah, like I don't write uh, I don't write Oliver and Felicity and change their names and then sell it as a superhero story. I write Gail and Guy, who are my own creation. So. So then that's a, that's a really interesting question then, because is the thing like with, with Fifty Shades of Grey, then is the is the betrayal from the fandom sense the fact it's not that she copied and just did a story of Twilight, like a remake of Twilight, it's that she took a fandom thing and she made it a profit thing, and that's the betrayal that's happening, is what you're saying. That's the major betrayal with her, and the thing is with what she did was it ruined the Twilight fandom. Did it? Um, yeah, because everybody else started doing the same thing. And so people would put half of their work up, like half of their Twilight fan fiction, and then pull it and say, well, if you want to read the rest, you got to buy the book. Whoa. So I knew it, that like a couple people had done professional stuff from the Twilight fandom, but I didn't know that it had that much of an effect. It had a huge effect on it. Like, it wrecked that fandom. That fandom doesn't exist. Well, I mean, it exists in pockets, but like... Uh, it had its heyday around what 2009, 2010, and then just uh, it exploded because of what this hap- what happened, and then now there's like nothing, and that's really weird because monetized like, it. The movies only finished like last year or something, like or the year before. Like it still is pretty recent in cultural memories like i would have thought that there would have been like movie movie version fanfics, like you know, uh, you know, adapting the new canon from the films. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there probably are, but like for the most part, like that fandom is going to take a long time to get over Fifty Shades. What the Fifty Shades of Grey did, 
Yeah. Woof. I didn't I didn't realize that that had such a massive effect. That's really interesting. So then I think that it's – I want to talk something about something called the gift economy, which is a phrase that I've heard describing fandom and I really like the, as, as a concept. And basically the idea of a gift economy is that it's not – you have an exchange of goods or services, in this case, reading, writing, art, um, fan works are exchanged um, in an economical basis where you have, um, you know, there's actually things like, well, I'll write a story for my friend or I'll write a story for the holiday and I'll share with people and other people produce works and they share it with you. And the idea is that it's not money being exchanged, it's it's gifts of goodwill and it's a constantly feeding off of this this gifting idea. So if I write something that I'm really passionate about and I put it on the internet for other people to read, I'm participating in a world and in an economy that thrives off of other people doing what I'm doing. So I think some of the problems that we're running into with this is that when you add money to that, it's like poisoning the well of what previously is an almost altruistic kind of system where the value that you get is online popularity, it is new friendships, or it is personal acclaim within your hobby, but it's not money. And at, and I think money is, a lot of people are scared that money will ruin fan fiction, or is. And in this case, it sounds like it already did for that group. Yeah. And there are things that are on the horizon where you're just kind of like, okay, this is going to change a lot. Um, the website Patreon what is Patreon? Have you heard of that one? I've, I've heard the name before, but what what is that? It's something that is really working well with um, like YouTube artists, but right now it's it's kind of, it's on its um, it's it's just starting out, and it's a website where you can subscribe to a content creator and you can throw a set mon- amount of money every their way every month, and you can cap how much you want to send them, and then they produce content for you. And they produce content on tiers. Like if you were to donate $60 to your favorite YouTube band, uh, you could get like their new single and get like to see their video ahead of time or even maybe a meet and greet with the band if they come through your town or uh, they'll put your name at the end of their music video. So it's kind of similar to Kickstarter where they have like donations and then then, then, um, items returned for in exchange for that donation? It's very similar, but it, the, with Kickstarter, they have to meet a, a goal. And then um, if they don't meet that goal, it falls through, right? You mm-hmm. have to get your funding. With Patreon, it's just like, I'm going to kick a couple bucks your way this month. Hmm. And um, it's, it, it's based on the idea of patronage. Uh, back, back in the day, and this is why you tend to see more men painters than women painters in like Renaissance and everything, mm-hmm. is... Painters would have a patron, like a rich nobleman or a rich commoner who would pay for their like room and board, who would pay for their supplies, and they would paint for that person. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was very fashionable to have, like, your own painter. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that in the, in, I know that in the, in the, um, uh, the Renaissance period, that was, a lifestyle that supported the entire artistic community um, in terms of painting and, and sculpture. Right. And that's what Patreon is, is founded on is the idea that now we as normal citizens can become uh, patrons of, you know, a chosen artist and some fan fiction writers do have Patreon accounts. Does so that work for them? It's not, 
Uh, I'm not sure. There are some that probably does. I haven't actually seen a successful one. Um, I don't want to name anybody that's doing it because that feels like I'm shaming them and I'm not, but it's mm-hmm. just a stylistic choice. And um, essentially, like if I were to say, hey, I'm going to write this much per month and hey, if you want to throw a couple bucks my way to pay for like the Dr. Pepper I need to get through this scene, then cool. So I can't judge them for wanting a little more for or wanting to make a buck for the stuff they're producing for free, but they don't own that stuff too. So, yeah, that the ownership is really where it comes down. Because I was just thinking while you're deciding that, well, like, what is the problem of you know um, patronizing an artist in that sense? But like you said, owner, it 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 always is going to circle back to ownership for fan fiction because the idea that the whole basis that fan works as in transformative works are allowed to exist without being sued and why people aren't worried about getting sued these days is the idea that it's not a moneyed event. And right. The, and it's the biggest, not taking money from the content creators. Yeah. The biggest fear with um, when I was growing up in fandom, which I've been in since I was in middle school was that if you get noticed by the powers that be the creators or such, then they could send you a cease and desist letter and ask you to stop or sue you because you're using characters and products that don't belong to you. And now with, in some cases, certain franchises embracing fan fiction, um, I mean, I get it for Bandom because like for, you know, like One Direction stuff, because those aren't, those are, are people. They're not really characters. I mean, they, they are characters in fandom sense, but they're also like persons. You can't copyright, you know, like the lead singer of One Direction. Yeah. It, I mean, he's his own, he can control his own image, but you can't copyright that. But you can copyright, you know, the, the lead character of a book franchise and their name right. and, and what they do. And so if I'm paying somebody, you know, through Kickstarter or Patreon or one of these to write fan fiction and the fan fiction that they're writing involves a character that they don't have the intellectual property rights to, that's, that's like really, really confusing and, and gray area. It's very, very murky, and the way Patreon gets away with, uh, the way fanfiction writers can get away with Patreon is they're not charging for the product, they're just charging, it's it's a donation made of your own goodwill. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, like, basically, okay, so I write a book, I write uh-huh. uh, Super Years Anonymous, sure. and then I send it off to HarperCollins, and HarperCollins says, yeah, we want to publish this, and I say, okay, you can have these rights, and they're like, okay, we will, with these rights, we're going to make a printed copy, and we're going to make an ebook, mm-hmm. and we're going to give you this cut of it, and we're going to sell this specific product. It's a uh, money paid for products exchanged, right? Yeah. Well, with Patreon, it's not, I'm paying for a song, I'm paying for a physical book, I'm just going to put money your way, and you're going to put out a song or a physical book that isn't just for, isn't for me, but can be available to me. Uh, okay. I don't think that made any sense whatsoever, but you know, no, I get what you're saying. I think it just sounds like it's ripe for a lawsuit. Like if no, it only... definitely is, there's going to be, we're going to see some kind of explosion. Yeah. Cause like if I was right, if I was doing that, if I was the, the writer in question and I wrote only fan fiction about arrow, for example, that was my output, and then I and then Patreon gave me money. It's not like I'm producing original works alongside of it. It's it's essentially in that way I am making my living my living or some part of my living or some part of taxable income off of writing fan fiction. This really 
you, you can't really get around that at that point. And yeah, that if you're making taxable to... income, then somebody can go after that money. Right. And I think they try to get away around that saying, don't write entirely fan fiction. Yeah. But, I... uh, there are people that are going to exploit the system and it's going to, it's going to have a ripple effect in fandom. You're going to have people that are like, Hey, you know, I'm a really good author. Donate money to me. And then you're going to have people that resent those people. So it's a whole cycle. How long has that been up, Patreon? Uh, I heard about it last year, maybe the year before. Um, I follow, I, one of my favorite music groups is Walk Off the Earth. And uh, I love Peter Hollins, who is, uh, he's an acapella singer. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the early adopters of Patreon. So I saw it in its early stages. And I had looked into it and thought, well, you know, I could maybe use this, but then I thought, no, I don't want to do that because okay. I have I have a whole bunch of other reasons not to do that. Yeah, so it's pretty new, and we're gonna see a lot of stuff coming out about it. I think. Well, that kind of brings me to the next thing. The last thing I wanted to talk about. So thinking of that is so that's new enough now that you don't really that we don't really know yet if that's gonna be a functioning model or what long term effect it's gonna have on fandom. Um, it sounds like it would exist, like fandom would only be a small part of that because it sounds like it's mostly for, you know, like artists and singers, right? And Right, artists, yeah. webcomic artists, people that create original, original content. Yeah, okay. So the other thing that I've learned, the other, the other incident where, aside from prizes and, and stuff that magazines or shows do for, you know, write a fanfic contest, aside from that, which is pretty small potatoes, Amazon Worlds is the other thing oh that's, that's had this big effect. So I'm going to go to a brief explanation of, of Amazon Worlds as I understand it. And because I, I spent some time looking at it and I read, I, I read some stuff about it. And I, when it was first coming out, I think about two years ago, the idea is that Certain TV shows, mostly CW shows and, and a couple other worlds, are on this Amazon um, site that lets you write fan fiction for that title. You know, whether it's The 100 or whether it's Vampire Diaries. Vampire Diaries has a lot, apparently. You write a fan fiction for that title. You submit it to Amazon. Amazon charges an amount for that. I don't know if I assume it's on some kind of, you know, sliding scale, but uh you can submit like a 10,000 word or a 30,000 word or greater. And at each tier, there's a certain amount of money that you get back every time somebody buys that book. So if Amazon sells it for like 2.99, you may get 30 cents back from that. And in the meantime, um you lose the right to reproduce that content anywhere else. So you can't put it on archive of our own or fanfiction.net or um, Tumblr or LiveJournal or, um, you know, Wattpad if it's on Amazon Worlds. Like, Amazon Worlds owns that now. And also, the content uh, creators who own that title can use any element of your story that they want. You're basically giving your story over to the license holders. So, like, if you created a character in your fanfic and uh, somebody by some chance thought that that character should be on a TV show or in, in the book, Amazon can now give away the rights to that character because you sold them to Amazon. So it seems like it's not that great of a deal. And I don't think you, it sounds like you make a lot of money from it. Um, but I did talk to someone who said that she's had fan fiction up for the hundred and it was a longer story. She took it down off of AR3. She put it on Amazon world and she says she's, she gets a couple bucks every month, like 20 or 30 bucks a month from it, which I don't know. Maybe it was more than that. I don't know. She said she gets a little bit of money from it, but nothing major. Well, okay. I have a lot of thoughts about Amazon world. 
Um, <laughs> I also have a really fun karma story about it. So don't sign away your rights to any of your original kids. Don't ever do that. Don't not do that. Don't. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I have very strong feelings about this, but mm-hmm. you, like your, your breakdown of it was accurate. You basically the writers can take anything you put in there and you don't own it anyway. You don't own any of it. Mm-hmm. So if they like a character you like, you wrote, and they create that character, they can, they make a lot of money off of that character. Congratulations, you have made them a lot of money. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you don't care about that and you want to throw your stuff on there, great. But I just, uh, it, it drives me nuts that you're signing away your own rights. Well, I mean, they wouldn't have made, uh, a fan fiction writer wouldn't have made money on that character anyway. If that character existed no. within the context of the fanfic. That's true. But, like, I, it's a matter of professional pride for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. I mean, I do think that as, as a writer in fanfiction and in fandom, I do have pride in myself as a writer and as a contributor to part of this community. Yeah. I, I value the community of fandom online and what it is as a creative force and what it is as um, a source of entertainment. And a source of potential friendships. And a source of drama in terms of entertainment value also. Like I Oh, there's so much drama. Yeah, this world is precious to me. And that's why I'm, I want to, you know, I like to talk to fans on a podcast. Because I, I love fandom so much. And I do feel very icky when, when money touches the thing that I love. <laughs> yeah, it, well, money, it, money messes everything up. And with this Amazon world... You can look at it from a fandom's perspective and say, well, you know, I wasn't doing anything with my story, but sharing it anyway, mm-hmm. and think, okay, I am entitled to more. And some authors do feel that way. Some authors post a story and they don't get any comments. They're like, no, I am entitled to your comments. I gave you something. You owe me mm-hmm. something back. Yeah. And for some people, Amazon World is just a, a good thing. It, you know, it could even lead to stuff in the publishing industry for them. They could write a really great story for Amazon World to take not that story to an agent, but they could take those numbers to an agent or a publisher when they're trying to publish a novel and say, hey, I am a viable source. I can sell things. So they're, they're, it's not all bad. It's just I really hate the fact that you don't own your rights anymore. Yeah. Because even in fan fiction, if you put a fan fiction on your three, you still own you know, the words. You still own the sentence construction. You know, If somebody yanks off your sentence and your characters, even if they're not even if they're the show's characters, that's still their plagiarizing from you. Mm-hmm. But Amazon World, you signed that away. Yeah. Though I was just thinking, if I was a foreplan, if I was the per- kind of person who would plan things ahead of time, well, first of all, I probably wouldn't be in fandom. But if I was that kind of person, you would have to like, you'd have to write a big enough fanfic and make it good enough that you you have to already have an ex- uh, a fandom maybe you'd have to write a really good fanfic for probably a new series because you wouldn't want to necessarily me- get messed with your old series for like a new show then you would have to write a whole book then you could put the fan the fanfic on Amazon Worlds if you got a lot of press for it and a lot of you know or not press but like a lot of uh, reads and stuff on that then you could have a whole book to push to the publisher and say look here's my draft and also look at my fanfic that did so well yeah that's what I'm saying and that seems like so so much structured planning it's like if I could do that then I probably would already be a novelist professionally anyway and I wouldn't <laughs> even be in fandom 
Yeah, <sighs> you could do that. And that's what I was saying when I was saying you could uh, you could take those numbers to an agent or to a publisher mm-hmm. and say, hey, look, I, I sell, you know, yeah. take a chance on me. Uh, I will say that Amazon World has led to one of the greatest karma stories ever, and that involves the Vampire Diaries. So Amazon World's mm-hmm. launched with the Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, and one other one. I don't remember what the third one is off the top of my head. I think there's like eight or nine now. Yeah, there's a lot, but go ahead. So they launched that, and it seems to be a WB thing. And Amazon or uh, Vampire Diaries were written by L.J. Smith originally. Well, L.J. Smith mm-hmm. signed a horrible contract. Just a terrible contract. Uh, either her agent was terrible or she didn't have one. And didn't the, nobody looked over it and said, hey, don't sign this. You're going to get screwed over. Which eventually happened when the show came out. And she was writing the books toward a different direction. Mm-hmm. She was writing her idea for the books, which they were her characters. But the contract she signed meant that they could take it over and bring in a ghostwriter. Which they did. Oh, no. So, L.J. Smith was kind of screwed out of her own series because she wasn't writing like the TV show. Wow. Well, Amazon World's happened. And suddenly, L.J. Smith, the real L.J. Smith, Mm -hmm. can write the Vampire Diaries characters again. (laughs) So, her books, the ones that the fandom would have originally gotten Uh that weren't based on the TV show are now available and are the bestsellers. Really? In that. So she's so she's doing well. Yeah. So she got her. She, you know, uh, unfortunately, she does have to sign the rights away to those, but she already did. Yeah, and she probably makes a lot less than she would have made as an in the novel, but yeah, but it's still the good. Fact that she was able to get her message out to the world and make mm-hmm. money off of it is still just I I have nothing but respect for that. Yeah, that's that that must take an incredible that's that does take an incredible amount of gumption because you if you've been shut down that hard from that had you know, to be tough. Your your colleagues, your editors, the people who you work for and work with, that's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. So basically she got she got her, her own back, sort of. Yeah. I wonder uh what um Peter Beagle would have to say to that, because I know that he wrote the last unicorn and apparently um i don't think he gave up the rights to the book but i do know that when the movie came out apparently even though the movie was was a cult hit for my generation at least in the sense that it it aired on tv and everybody had seen the movie the last unicorn i guess he like made almost no money from it and that sucks yeah like authors sign bad contracts every day it's it's a scary thing. You could get screwed over by so many people who have so much self-interest and not enough to protect you. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, is how Amazon World feels. But, you know, to the people it's working for, hey, you know, more power to you. I think I'd rather... I think I am a little bit more comfortable with the concept of Amazon Worlds than with the concept of fanfickers fan using Patreon. Because, at least with Amazon Worlds, it is on clear paper who owns what part of things and yeah. i can still be part of fandom and not participate in amazon worlds and it doesn't affect me if i'm part of if it, it seems from what i can tell amazon worlds is like a quirk that some people have tried but it's not had an noticeable impact and that i can tell on my actual fandom activities in the sense that my fandom hasn't disappeared and reappeared only on amazon worlds yeah so i think that that is a threat to fandom culture does not panned out the way people were afraid at first that it would. My God, I remember the I remember the announcement, and I remember it was like fire and brimstone. The world yeah. is ending, 
uh, run for your lives, grab your children, grab your wives sort of stuff. Every, it seems like instead everybody's just like, better not. Eh, <laughs> that doesn't sound good for me. Yeah, I saw it from both. I was I was researching when it first came out. I was researching uh, pub, in, indie publishing. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the indie publishers talked about it. J.A. Conrath had a, a blog post about it and... It's a terrible deal. Um, like, if somebody were to offer you that on an original novel, you would just have to laugh in their face. Yeah, I think I might have read an article or something to that effect as well. I want to go back for a second to talk about about the fan fiction professional writing. So, since the Fifty Shades of Grey thing has come out, I have seriously thought about, like, what would... If I have... I am, like many people, I not everybody writes fandom wants to be a professional writer, but I do have you know, ideas that I've wanted to think, well, I could be in a, I could make a a novelist or I could make a series of short stories or somehow turn my creative habit into something that is economical. And I thought Mm -hmm. for a while, like I honestly sat down and I asked myself, if I can't make my own stories work, what if I just wrote a fanfic and I essentially just put all that energy toward that story. And then I went back and then I altered it. And, um, you know, change the characters. If I did that, but I didn't put it on the internet, is that like I didn't? It, it wasn't published ever published as a fan fiction. I only wrote it as a fanfic in my mind, then changed the character types. How would that stand ethically in comparison to you know that whole discussion? Is it at what point is it yours, or does it like as a launching pad, or or is that like what does that fall for you? Like, what do you think about that? I, uh, I, I've done that before. I haven't published anything I've like written that way, but I've thought about that. And to me, the difference between that and Fifty Shades of Grey and the fact that Fifty Shades of Grey I hate, to me, the difference was putting it out online. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were to write... When I wrote my book, I could tell you... I couldn't tell you what I was thinking um, any day I was writing it. And... Uh, Anything you write is going to be influenced by something. You can't write in a complete objective vacuum. Mm-hmm. So if you were deliberately, let's say you're writing uh, a novel starring Oliver and Felicity, and then you wrote the whole thing uh, using just your interpretation of the characters, which is going to be different from anybody's interpretation of the characters anyway. You wrote that whole mm-hmm. thing, and then you went back and you altered the details that made them Oliver and Felicity, but maybe you kept some of the dialogue that you had written in your head. Uh, to me, that's not the same thing at all. And that's, to me, that's acceptable because that was how you got through the novel. And in the end, you did change the world. You did change the characters. Now, if you were to just write the novel and call them Smolliver and (laughs) Smolicity, then, and I could tell when I was reading it that this was totally an Arrow fan fiction when it started, then it's a little more of a gray area, but whatever. (laughs) A lot of like the male male romance novels, you can tell they were originally Brokeback Mountain fan fiction. <laughs> like, oh, okay, you wrote really? this is Brokeback Mountain fan fiction and changed it. Got it. <gasps> How do you know they weren't some other fan fiction from some other product? Uh, well, I didn't read them personally. I'm not a Brokeback Mountain person, but uh, apparently they were very the details, the archetypes remain the same. Ah, oh. so in some books. Like, okay, Diana Gabaldon mm-hmm. uh, hates fan fiction, has compared people writing fan fiction to, like, raping her husband uh, and white slavery. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. 
she has admitted that like she took these characters that were already existed and wrote them and then changed their names. So that's exactly the same thing she did. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like if, if the finished product does not resemble the original canon to the point where somebody could recognize it, then who cares how you wrote it? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Then that definitely does make sense. And I do think that lines up with what I've heard about other writers' creative processes in in making different things. So the, the salient difference then would be, was that ever published online as a fan fiction for the fanfic community and then mm-hmm. taken? So I guess it's intent. Like if I if you write the story as we described, but you don't ever intend to publish it as fan fiction, you just use that as a way of looking at creating new characters. That's one thing. But if you write fan fiction for in a fanfic audience, put it on a fanfic website. It is a gift to that fan fiction audience and therefore you should not monetize it. Yeah, I, I really do believe that because I really feel like that is Fan fiction is a living, breathing community, and fandom as a whole, and this is goes for art, I think, too, is is a community that, that has expectations as part of participating in it. We have, you know, we police ourselves in terms of plagiarism or something. Like, if you plagiarize something, people will be very mad at you, which is why people were mad to this day about Cassie Clare, because it's like yeah. she took this thing that she was a partner of, and she crapped on it. And and betrayed the spirit of that thing. Right. That we all participate in. So yeah, I can see that. That's very encouraging. I like your I like your breakdown of it. <laughs> I have uh I've been in the situation where I've been the one plagiarized, so it's been fun. So I don't like Cassie Claire even more because of that. Mm, yeah, that hasn't happened to me before, but I have seen it happen to other people. I did have somebody I got really mad one time, um, I briefly wrote fan fiction for uh, The Vampire Diaries because I, I watched about five seasons of that show. And around the fourth season, I got really into Elena and Elijah as characters. And uh, then I stopped watching like a season later because it got crappy. But um, I did write a story for them on fanfiction.net. And this was just before I really moved to AO3. And I was looking up... Um, a message board for the fandom and I found a message board um, devoted to uh, the originals characters and they had a whole s- section that was about Elena and Elijah. I was like, oh, cool. And then I found out somebody had been posting the text of my story, not as mine, but saying, hey, I found the story. And they were posting the text of the story as replies in this message board. And other people were oh. saying, oh, that's so great. And they weren't linking really back to me, but they weren't claiming it to be theirs. They were just saying, look at the story I found. Here's the next part of it. And I was so fucking mad. Yeah, it's it's enraging because like... I like signed up for that and I like yelled at them. And then I ended up actually staying on that message board for like three months and was became like was a participator because I was like, oh my God, these are, these are, even though I'm mad at them, these are the only shipper people in this tiny ship. So <laughs> I'll struggle through that. But I was really mad at that person because I was like, you, you could, if you wanted to quote, you know, three lines and say, this is a cool paragraph linked back to the original story. That's, that's nice. That's a wreck. I'll take that. But like literally whole chapters were like put into this, into this message board as that became the point in which they were reading the story instead of reading it and giving me the hits on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel very strong ownership toward my writing in fandom, 
even though I recognize that it's part of uh, intellectual property that I don't own, I do feel, I think, every bit as much creative ownership over my words as I assume, you know, professional people do. Yeah, I I think about the same. Like, uh, if somebody, if I'd found out somebody was um, plagiarizing Gail, I'd be a little more annoyed than I had a story plagiarized a few years ago. Uh, and I ended up looking like the bad guy in that story because I was the big name author that scared away this shiny new author that was writing this great thing everybody loved, even though it was clear they were writing my story and trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. And they were stealing like entire paragraphs from me. So it wasn't yeah. like, like stealing that kind of stuff sucks. Like, cause the person taking away the new story always looks like the bad guy. But if they tried to steal something from Superheroes Anonymous, well, that's taking out, that's not just taking money out of my pocket. That's making money out of my agent's pocket. And that's taking mm-hmm. money out of my editor's pocket. So I'm a little more upset about that. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's more people involved. Like, you take from me as a fanfic writer, well, okay, yeah, that hurts me. You take from my agent just had a new baby. He's really cute. And you're <laughs> taking from that baby. So don't do that. Don't steal words and money from babies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, my editor has a really cute dog. So you're stealing treats from that dog. So don't do that. Well, so we've come down to a couple lessons here, which is don't plagiarize. Don't steal money from babies. uh, Don't sell. Don't give away your rights to things that you have a right to. I have very strong opinions (laughs) about all of these. Mostly the babies thing, though. Yeah. And, uh... Don't mess with Sherilyn Kenyon, I guess, because she'll sue you. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm glad somebody's doing it, but I don't know about her case, man. Yeah. I, I don't actually, I don't know how much of a leg she has to stand on there. Yeah, I don't I don't think, looking at it, I don't know if I would have made the original suit, but the, the suit that she has now, I think, is certainly going to be, is certainly going to be interesting. And I just wonder what, con- what context exists in her world and in Cassie Clare's world and the publishing world that would make them go through with that. Cause I'm sort of like a little bit of a defeatist. And then if, if somebody took my concept and stole it, I'd probably be like, Oh shit. Well, that sucks. That sucks. <laughs> but she, you know, she's going for it. So yeah. Well, I, I will say um, professionally, uh, Cassie Claire's not that well liked in the publishing world. She does seem to have a couple people on Twitter who are going to, to her defense. Yeah. You know she's got a she's got a group uh, of friends and um, but yeah there there's some bridges burned and a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So oh, wow, we'll see how that goes. Do you find that kind of stuff out from like your editor? Uh, friends that are agents. Hmm. I I have a friend that's an insider now, and she always shares like great gossip with me that I'm not going to repeat. But oh, like. I know. I'm sorry. I have to protect that friend. <laughs> um, well, yes, our, our 62, our 61, soon to be 62 listeners will be very disappointed to hear that. But it's good that you're keeping keeping confidence. The internet is forever, man. The internet is forever. <laughs> That's true. Stitcher's not forever, though, because I use Stitcher a lot. And apparently it's been down for maintenance for like four days. And I'm super pissed about it because not for my podcast, but because I'm addicted to podcasts. And I even uninstalled it from my app, and I reinstalled it thinking maybe it was my version of it. No, it's down for maintenance. Oh, Stitcher, come on. Get your your act together. I know. 
I'm 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 back to listening to audiobooks again, which is fine because I like audiobooks. But man, I have I'm addicted to podcasts now as a listening medium. That's probably a good thing that you have one then. Yeah. Yeah, that just makes me think I need to do more editing on on my own, <laughs> which is where the guilt comes in. But um okay, <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. It is. Like, do I want to edit this podcast tonight or tomorrow? Mm. Ah. Okay, we are we do need to close out though. Um I've had a really good time having you here talk to me. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. This has been fun. I get to tell you fandom opinions. I love fandom opinions. Yeah, and you shared some stuff because you're in some fandoms that I wasn't in, so it was really cool to to hear about that. Like now, yeah, now I want a super reader, but <laughs> <laughs> I would also That's hate it great. because I get I get really weird about like like um reckless like recommendation list because I'm like on the one hand I'm like oh recommendation list, and the other hand I'm like why am I not on that? And even if I don't even write that much for that fandom, like I really want to be on everything, so it's like. I don't know. I probably we don't want to give me a super reader. I, I would abuse it. <laughs> <laughs> well, fandom it definitely changes. So yeah. So uh, I am very excited uh, to say that this is um, a piece of fan mail, which we don't get that often, and so I'm really happy about that. This one is from a person named Quags, which is Q. U-A-G-S, and I do know her on the internet, so I'm very grateful for her for sending me in a question. And she says, one of the things that stays with me about all that wank around Cassie Clare is that, if I remember correctly, someone started analyzing how many passages and phrases Cassie used that weren't, that quote, weren't original. That in itself is fine and generally a good way to catch plagiarists, but it really made me question what the line is between writing an homage and ripping something off. When I'm writing something, I will deliberately, uh, sometimes I will deliberately place a reference to the West Wing. The quotes and references are made to be Easter eggs for my West Wing friends to find. So my question is, in the already morally gray world of fanfic, where do you think that the line between theft and homage actually is? When are you ripping something off? Thank you, Quags. So Lexi, I'm going to toss you that one to you. What do you think about that question? I think uh, context definitely matters quite a bit. Um, the thing that a lot of people are upset with Cassie Clare for taking entire lines from Buffy, uh, entire passages from Pamela Dean, um, Buffy, a whole bunch of other TV shows, are, are, are that she claimed that those were her own. And to me, it's more about intent. Like, uh, later on, she said, no, those were Easter eggs for my friends to find. And, you know, it, was, it kind of felt like, well, you got caught. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it's going to vary from person to person. Um, I will put in little, like, a lot of things that people do if they're a fan of a show. Like, uh, I read a lot of Carmilla fanfiction, and every single every single fanfic in that fan in fandom has the line, your bunched-up face is hilarious, cupcake, or something like that. It's a line similar to that. And it's a line curved directly from the show and everybody recognizes it as such. Mm -hmm. uh, I really wish they'd stop using that line because every time it's in every single fan fiction and they need to stop. <laughs> Nothing makes me hate something as to see it in 50 different fanfics. And I'm like, well, I'm done with that now. <laughs> yeah. And there are things that you'll borrow from the show because you're writing for the show. And mm -hmm. then there are things that you'll put in and it's really just a matter of quantity, honestly, like, Putting in a line from the West Wing 
Um, Sorkin writes great dialogue. And if you want to say at the end, hey, um, there are a couple lines from the West Wing in here, that's, you know, that covers your butt and that lets people know. Just don't ever take credit for those lines that you borrow. Like Sorkin, by the way, will uh, steal his own lines. There's a... <laughs> on crack.com this week that I read that talked about uh, content creators that use their reuse their own lines and Zorkin is one of the biggest perpetrators of that so um, bad example but yeah just don't, don't take credit for it um, put it in your author's notes that hey there are a couple of chuck lines in here there are a couple of uh, things that I borrowed from this and if it's an easter egg and you're fr- they were there for your friends maybe they'll just have a good laugh just don't take whole passages either Okay, then is there a difference really between if you're writing for that show, um, the Quags, from what I understand from the context of her larger letter that she sent the question, is that she writes um, fan fiction. Oh, I'm sorry. She writes fan fiction for the West Wing and non-fan fiction that's not about the West Wing. So if it's like a story that it's already in that fandom. Like if I'm quoting Buffy in a Buffy fanfic, I don't feel that that's a problem at all because I think that that's just within, that's, that's completely within the realm of your writing those characters in that world. Yeah. Your audience is going to recognize it anyway. Yeah. Half a fanfic is right. Re- rewriting different versions of the scenes that we've already witnessed on screen, in which case, obviously you're going to use all that dialogue. So I don't really think that it's if you are writing West Wing fanfic, for example, and you're writing um, West Wing lines into West Wing fanfic, that's to me not only accepted, but an actual part of the artistic process for certain types of fics. Yeah. But if you're taking from like a West Wing to write in another story, then I do wonder, um, you know, I'm more of the line that I will tend to put something in the author's notes before and after. Like I used in a fanfic that I wrote for The Hundred, I made a reference to the phrase strangers in a strange land and i think i changed it even a little bit more um than that but it was such a specific phrasing that if you knew that as a book title of a famous sci-fi book you would pick up on it even though it's not exactly that phrase and then i put down that in my author's notes i said this is you know cited from you know heinlein and i think it was heinlein uh anyway uh that and that that's what that was from. And I'm very studious about that because I yeah. don't want to be accused of plagiarism. And it's a matter of pride for me. So I guess I come on the side of like, yeah, I think if you write about quantity is definitely a thing and intent. But also I think that you can put an homage in the fic and then at the end of the sto- chapter, at the end of the story, put in, you know, this is from that thing. If you caught it, that's awesome. If you liked the line but you didn't catch it, this is where you can find the original source material for that. And I, I think that that's f- that, that can be really fun. Um, but if you don't yeah, declare that it... that isn't it, what Cassie declared it. Yeah, if you don't declare it, it seems really dicey to me. Yeah. yeah. I will say um, that there is an arrow line in Superheroes Anonymous. Yeah. It's not word for word the same dialogue, but I did use my favorite line from Felicity and I retooled it and I put it in there in per- on purpose to see if any of my arrow fans would. would was it, I believe it. in you? <laughs> it was not. It was, uh, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what it was, but um, well, it is said by a tall man in green, but it's one of Felicity's famous lines. Oh, well, I, I have your book, so if I read it again, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up for that. Um, I read most of your book in one day on the beach. Like, I read two-thirds of it on the beach, so it was a good beach it's book. It's literally a beach read. Nice. I like that. There's not too much complicated going on yeah, in I was that like, book. boom, 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 boom. 
Yeah. I think that as a fandom, we have our own sense of where that line is. And we sort of know when one of our community members has broken the general consensus of that. And that's what I feel like they get the impression of this is what happened with Cassie Clare. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there was something else I was going to say about that. I do want to say thank you, though, for sending that message in, Quags. And that was a really good question. It's something I think that we all have to talk about and think about when we're doing our own writing. And if anybody else wants to send in, you know, questions or or something that you want me to read, uh, I won't be able to read a whole long letter, but I can read a section of it. That if you have a, a thing that you want to talk us to talk about, please send it to me at sarahglassaudio at gmail dot com. And I know that my I haven't told people who's going to be on my next episode because it's you know I know it's very unreliable my output process, so forgive me for that. But definitely send in stuff to rewind again cast on Twitter or to me on email or to my Tumblr Rewind Again podcast. Please. I mean, I will now. Oh, you will now? It's going to be like spam. I'm going to send you like so much spam. Ah, do it. Do it. You can you can do what I do, which is if I have a podcast that I like, I send them uh, feedback on with one form of media contact one week and then like three weeks later, I'll send it to it from a different email account because I kind of want to know like, do they know it's the same person? It's a small podcast. They may or may not know. <laughs> I'm just going to send you pictures of my dog. Oh my god, I love dogs. I, I wish I had a dog right now, but I don't. But I really want to get one the next place that I live in. I'm going to get a dog. There you go. Yeah. Set for life. All right. Okay, so um, where can we find you online? If you want us to find you online, or if you're not being in- incognito, like the secret novelist hiding in the closet. <laughs> uh, you can find my fandom identity. Um, Tumblr is the best place to find me there. I'm Freya O'Scanlan on Tumblr. Uh, one word, F-R-E-A-O-S-C-A-N-L-I-N. I've never actually spelled that out loud, so that was the first. Uh, Freya O'Scanlan on Tumblr. Freya underscore O on Archive of Our Own. Freya O'Scanlan on fanfiction.net if you want to find any of my work there. And then um, if you want to find me professionally as Lexi, you can find me at Dunwriting, D-U-N-N-E, Writing. Uh, .com, Instagram's done writing, Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter, all of that is done writing. And yes, I did pick the name so that I could use the pun. Are you done writing? <laughs> I've never done writing, but I've always done writing. I know, I like it because it makes me think of the of the poet John Dunn. <laughs> I like it. I uh, I I am very happy that Crystal Dunn is on the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team because she's amazing, and it's taught me a whole bunch of puns like Dunstoppable and Dunn Possible. Yeah, nice. So, all right. Well, you can follow the show um, on Twitter. We're we're at Rewind Again Cast uh, because at Rewind Again Podcast is too many characters for a Twitter name, so it's at Rewind Again Cast. Or our Tumblr is RewindAgainPodcast.tumblr.com. Um, if you go on there, you, if you have a Tumblr account, you can send us messages or, um, you know, reblog stuff. Or if you don't have a Tumblr account, you can still leave a reply, um, with just a little discus login, like you would on, on any other site, you can leave a comment and you can also send us, uh, an audio talk back. If you want to send one to Sarah glass audio at gmail.com or, um, you know, comment with a link to it. Uh, or you can send me a question either through, uh, through, Twitter, through Tumblr, or through um, email at sarahglassaudio.com. All right. Well, we will. I'm going to have you back another day to come in to talk like a couple months from now. Is that okay? I'm like, black. That sounds fine to me. It's been fun. All right. Cool. 